0: Hello out there. Welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank. I'm back here with Byron. Uh, Byron, uh, we just want to welcome everybody to the show again. If you're a repeat listener, we do welcome you back. If you're a first-time listener, uh, welcome for the first time. Uh, go ahead and let them know what we're all about and uh, get anything off your chest you need to.
1: Well, once again, I just want to reiterate what my partner just said. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Basically, at Politically Entertaining. We try to break down the news and politics for you, and uh, especially for those that may not follow it every day, and you can come here, and we try to tell you what's important, and we also try to tell you what isn't being covered as much in the media. Uh, Frank, the other day, one of my friends uh, in one of our group meet chats, he, you know, we just talk about random stuff, and he posed the question, you know, what were the top five moments in black sitcom uh, history. And (laughs) my first three picks were, like, unanimous, and then the last two was kind of more debatable. But what I came up with was uh, a different world, Dwayne Wayne interrupting the wedding, you know, when Willie was supposed to marry Byron. Mm. Um, When Will Smith on Fresh Prince, when he, the whole dad episode, when Mm -hmm. his dad comes back and leaves or whatever, uh, then of course you got to have good times, even though it's kind of sad, I guess. But when James dies, you know Florida dropping the bowl, damn, 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 damn. And uh, then four and five, like I say, it was more debatable. I think her name was uh, what was it? I wasn't the huge biggest uh, Cosby show fan, but I think Vanessa made some shirt for Theo, and it was like real jacked up. And then of course uh, Martin, which is one of my favorites going up. When he proposed to Gina, the real proposal when he had Brian McNight there and stuff. Uh, so, what, do you think you can come up with a better list, or you agree with that list? What you think? I, I, I got we, we're 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 right
0: here on a Fresh Prince. I think everybody who, even if you didn't have a if you had a dad, didn't have a dad. That's just an episode that touches everybody. I do have a different world on, on my list, although not the episodes you think. Um, I think the episode that where it was a very very um, racially charged episode where uh, I think it was um, Dwayne Wayne and and, and Rob went to a game, and they got into yeah. an altercation with two uh, white guys, and I they were they were the trying in, to spray paint N-word. the N-word on their N-word. car, and they ended up going to jail, and they kind of went through a mediation through the episode, and they kind of came to the understanding of, you know, the, both sides of the tracks, but then the, the messed up part was at the end of the episode, somebody actually finished spray painting the N-word on the car, so it was just kind of like... It, it the cycle continues. So that was an episode that stood out for me. And then uh the only other one I probably thought there was Living Single. I was, uh, was a show I used to watch um, with my sisters. And I think the first time that you saw Max and Kyle get together, that was kind of like whoa, because they was going at each other so hard. And then it was, all of a sudden they was like hooking up. So that first reveal on that was was kind of a uh a good moment to me. So, but like I said, you're is strong. <laughs>
1: Folks, if you have a better list, I invite you to go to politicallyentertaining.com or you can email us at info at politicallyentertaining.com. And if you think our list is whack or slightly better it need to be tinkered with a little bit, you know, let us know what you think. But it has to be a moment that you can automatically name and almost anybody will know what you're talking about. So, But, yeah, that was that was cool, man. But so I guess it's time to get into some politics. politically entertaining your cliff's notes to american politics and now your host, frank um, and byron as i said last week i was gonna have what, what i called a, a trump rant frank and as you know for the most part on this show we've been one of the few i think political shows that hasn't oversaturated you with donald trump talk but if you don't mind man I just had a few things I wanted to get off my chest. Um, So can I have the floor for a minute, brother? The, The floor is all yours. Go right ahead. First off, I need to admit that I was wrong about Donald Trump, and not wrong like most of the pundits that you see on TV, folks, where after every little comment he made, people would say, okay, he's done, he's finished. Pretty much when he first got in this race, I said he would be around for a while. If you remember four years ago, When it was rumored that he may run, he was like tops in the polls then. So I knew he would be around for a while. And I always said that, give me to Super Tuesday and he'll fade out. Now, I didn't think Senator Rubio and Kasich and Cruz would still be hanging around. They kind of messed up that prediction for me. But nobody wants to hear excuses when you're wrong. I was wrong. Trump is still around. And I have a little bit to say on that. First and foremost, folks. Trump has exposed America. All those times we were told that there were so few races or people with extreme positions, some of his voters are showing you otherwise. 20% of his supporters admitted, admitted that they think it was a mistake to free the slaves in the South. This was according to the Economist slash YouGov poll. In that same poll, 38%, that's almost four out of every ten people, folks, Wish that the South had won the Civil War. So 20% of people say it's a mistake to free the slaves, and those are the ones, like I say, that are willing to admit it. You never know how many actually were thinking it but weren't willing to admit it. And you have to wonder, you have to ask yourself, when you have white supremacists like David Duke and the Klan not only endorsing him, Frank, but they felt comfortable enough to broadcast from his rallies. I mean, he's shown more hostility towards Black Lives Matter than the Ku Klux Klan. And I I can't fault him that much because for far too long, the Republican Party, they they played this game. They they talk about inclusiveness, but they, they play this game of divisiveness where you have Reagan with the whole welfare queen, or you go back even further with Nixon and the Southern strategy. And so now what they have whispered for years, Trump is yelling at the top of his lungs. And I got to say, though, for, for if you're a Democrat, you have to take the light in watching him flip some of these past Republican usages that usually work against Democrats. They haven't worked against him, but for years you've heard terms like San Francisco liberals, Chicago-style politics. When Palin was running with McCain back in 08, she would go to these small towns and refer to them as real Americans. You know, so, again, practicing that old divisiveness that us versus them type thing. So when Ted Cruz, during one of their debates, he tried that same tactic on Donald. And he said that, you know, Donald had New York values and we couldn't elect him. That has worked on Democrats for years, that type of language, but not on Donald. He flipped it and he mentioned the bravery in New York during 9-11. And Cruz had to apologize for the comment the next day. He has been so fascinating to me to watch a man a man like Donald Trump can go in South Carolina, a place where George W. Bush is extremely light. He stands there on stage and says, hey, Bush didn't keep us safe. 9-11 happened on his watch. Like that's, that's not something anyone can get away with. And you had all these Republican strategists come out and say, okay, this time he's going too far. He's going to regret that. Jeb just had a great debate. He may pull this off. You know, you can't talk about Bush in South Carolina with all those veterans and he's so popular. Jeb came in fourth place. Trump won and ended his campaign. And and that that I mean, love him or hate him, but you have to be fascinated at that. And and what people like about him is that he doesn't have focus groups telling him what to say. Now, it causes him to say, you know, because he says what comes to his mind, it causes him to say a lot of questionable things and a lot of untrue things, but his voters don't care. And he's just walking around telling, telling the Republicans, you know, screw your talking points, screw your fake myths about how Bush kept us safe. 9-11 happened on his watch. That's what I'm going to say, and I'm still going to win. So it's kind of hard in some cases to be mad at Trump. And I personally, I'm not mad at Trump. Um, If you think he is the worst thing that can happen to this country, you can't fault him, and in my opinion, you can't fault his voters. Who you need to be blaming is the media. They have failed you, and this is not the first time they've failed you. Man, one of the reasons me and Frank were doing this show, one of the reasons we decided to do this show is because we felt like the mainstream media fails us far too many times. They failed us during Iraq. They didn't ask the tough questions. They took whatever the Bush administration said and ran with it. They allowed Cheney to play them. I don't know how many people know this. Cheney fed a story to a New York Times reporter. She wrote the story, and then he goes on Meet the Press and said, and says that there's a report out that Iraq does have weapons of mass destruction. There's a report out because you told her that. So he, he <laughs> He's the source, and then he uses himself as his own source through her. And you had the rest of the administration on all the Sunday talk shows talking about mushroom clouds and drawing up this fear, justifying going to war for Iraq. And and the media let us down, and they're letting us down again with Trump. They don't they don't force him to answer tough questions. He gives an answer, but they usually make zero sense. And. You know, Fox, not long ago, it, it took 11, count them, folks, it, it took 11 debates for us to finally hear about the Trump University and its lawsuit, 11 debates. That lawsuit has been out there for, like, five years. And and I can't even credit the media for bringing it up during the eleven debate, if I'm not mistaken. Senator Rubio was the one that brought it up, and then they elaborated on it. So there's so many things that you can go after him. But what Trump does is he brings ratings, and the media, they like those ratings, and they're just enjoying the show, and they're not asking the tough questions of this guy, and he's just cruising through this primary. He's built a fake persona, in my opinion. He's not 100 percent – I'm not 100 percent sure he's as rich as he says he is, and he's certainly not self-made like he has many people thinking. I mean, Frank, if if your dad gave you $200 million dollars, You tell me what you could do with that after you've gone to some of the best schools, and he he's very sensitive about his true net worth too. You know, Comedy Central they did a roast on him not long ago, and when they do these roasts, they usually ask the person, "Is there anything that's completely off off limits?" Excuse me. And the only thing he said that was off limits was his true his true net worth because. He knows he needs people to think. He says he's worth $10 billion. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But I do know he needs people to believe that. He needs people to believe that. He needs people to believe that he's this tough guy that makes deals no matter what, always wins, never mind the fact that he's bankrupted casinos, Trump Airlines fell. his his uh, whole real estate business went right before the whole real estate crash in 2008, it it flopped as well. But he gets to say these outrageous things, and he gets away with it. Other stuff he says is just flat-out wrong. Yes, we do have a trade deficit in Mexico of about $54 million, but that doesn't translate to an extra $54 million that they have laying around in some bank to pay for some fence that he wants. I mean, he he started his whole campaign – on immigration, do you know that it's more people leaving the country than coming in? But if you listen to him, you would think it's the opposite. And and Obama has actually deported more illegal immigrants than any president in history, but you won't hear him say immigration, while it may be a problem, it's not this huge problem that it was 10 or 15 years ago. Again, because of our economy and because of the way Obama has deported them, more or leaving, again, leaving the country, folks, than coming in. That's a fact that he continues to get away with. You barely hear the media challenge him on that. Another lie he tells, he didn't ask any billionaires for money. He did. He asked Sheldon Adelson for money, and he asked, I believe it was either Norman Braman or Ken Griffin, one of them who they decided to back Marco Rubio, but he went to them. They didn't believe that he can win or they just don't like him. Whatever the reason is, they just decided not to give it to him. And I guess I just wanted to do this, Frank, because this show is all about informing people and using our voices, and we want to be heard over the money in politics. We, we believe in Politically Entertaining that an informed electorate is a powerful electorate, no matter how much money is in politics, or in this case, because he hasn't spent a lot of money on his campaign, we can rise above all the media attention he's getting. So if he's the person that you want to be president, then you're well on your way. But if you're someone that does not want to see him president, we can stop that. And I'm talking to you Bernie Bernie Sanders voters. If he doesn't get this nomination from Hillary, You can't be mad and sit at home and say, well, I wanted Bernie to win, so I'm not going to vote in November. November." If you truly feel like Trump is one of the worst things that can happen to this country, you've got to use that power, people. And... (laughs) That's pretty much all I wanted to say, man. I just
0: bra- bra- bravo, sir. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, that's, and and as Byron said, it's one of the things we, we definitely want to encourage you guys to do is, is to vote and to be informed and to understand, you know, what's going on. And, and I believe that, you know, some of the points you hit on are very true. Uh, you know, in, in my opinion, you know, Trump certainly, his net worth, he's a human Ponzi scheme. His, his whole persona, it's, you know, built up on, you know, things that are, uh, in my opinion, very much – uh, front loaded with, you know, he's got things that he shuffles things around. I had a, a conversation with a, a coworker. He he shuffles things around. He has some, you know, money here, but it's it's not as liquid as you'd like to think it is. He's not he's not a he's not a Saudi oil sheik, you know, where he's you know driving you know 50 white Benzes you know every day of the you know month or anything like that. He doesn't have that kind of liquid liquid cash. And I think some people think that he's this like, you know, like you said, self-made guy who has all these great ideas that can fix things. And, you know, that's the the thing that, you know, people need to understand also is the American government is not a business. And whether or not you agree that it should be more of a uh, less government, smaller government, or or maybe larger government, it's not a business to be run on like a balance sheet and a profit and loss statement. So the idea that a businessman is going to fix what's going on in this country is laughable. Um, But, you know, to me, you, you made one statement that I think is is very interesting, and I don't want to stay on this too long. But you said, if you think Trump is the worst thing can happen to America, I don't think that he's the worst thing that can happen in America, because I think what's the worst thing that to happened in to America has already happened. I think that you've had the return of basically what looks like the the extreme white nationalist or you know party that is using now coming out and, and being very at home with the. With the basically the politics, the dog whistle politics, as they say, you know that make America great, which means almost in code for put minorities back in their place. And people are very comfortable now uh, with that feeling. They, they they feel like they've been overrun. When, like you said, in reality, it's all just um, it's a myth. The immig- immigration is down, and certainly immigration from Mexico is not up. Uh, you know, and and so you know a lot. Of, and the thing is, most most people don't realize that most illegal aliens. That are here came on a visa that expired, and then they just never left. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that I think also one thing to understand is this is something else you guys can look up in your free time. And I think it's called safe havens or safe haven cities. And I may not be saying this correctly, but there's cities in America
1: where well, they cannot cities, probably.
0: sanctuary. I think it's sanctuary cities. Thank you, Byron. See, that's why Byron's here to correct me. Um, but, but, in all seriousness, there's sanctuary cities. look up sanctuary cities. there're cities in 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 this country that have existed for years prior to any of prior to your birth likely um and they and if you're in these cities, you cannot be questioned about your papers or about anything like that so as much as you know maybe people talk about immigration reform on on both sides then why are there sanctuary cities if we're so tough on immigration. Why are there people, why are there places where you can't ask people about their papers? So it's a very interesting, you know, um, you know, thing. And, and like I said, Trump, to me, whatever happens, you know, whether or not he keep, gets the nomination and whether or not he becomes the president, I think people are missing the point. I think that the fact that he's able to get this far is the worst thing that's already happened. It's already happened. It's like whether or not he became the president or whether or not he got the nomination, the worst has already happened. And that's what's really frightening. And I, and I think that, um, it's it's you know i I think I mean, there's there's something on our Facebook page and, we, and like I said you can go there and visit it. And, and Marco Rubio you know had a very very uh, telling moment where he basically oh. felt he felt like you know people at the trump rally was, was somebody was gonna get hurt, and he he just he, he made a very important point point. and I think that if you listen to this show and whether or not you're conservative a moderate, or a liberal, it's okay to have viewpoints because we all grew up differently you know if you if you grew up as a minority, you're probably gonna have a different viewpoint than if you grew up. Um you know as 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 maybe a white white american uh you know or if you're well to do that's not a knock on you, it's just a different way of life, a different viewpoint and and I think we've gotten to the point now where we're we're where we're fighting about people's viewpoint to the point where it's it's almost like a life or death struggle and and I don't fully understand, and I don't know how we got here i i and I know how we got here, but i I may jump back to that later in the show, but I mean, like I said, go out there and vote. If you think Trump is your guy, you know, go out there and keep supporting him. If 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 you don't want to see Trump, make sure you vote. And if you don't want to see Trump, like Byron said, don't get mad and don't say, Well, I'm not voting for anybody. This goes for if you're a conservative or 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 moderate or liberal, or whatever. Don't if you don't if you really don't like Trump, people think Trump is the worst thing, like you said, don't sit at home and say, Well, I don't like the candidates. I don't like Trump and I hope he loses because that's not gonna get that's not gonna that's not gonna get it done. He's got too much of a following now at this point. To uh, for people who you know to to not to not him not you know get elected, but it's it's an interesting uh, debate, and it's, it's amazing that we're here, uh, you know. But the main thing I'll say about Donald Trump is I I'll say this on the record: I do not believe that he is a racist. I know people th- would think that he would be, but I do. He's he's worse than a racist. He is a person that he he feeds on whatever is going to work. Right now, yeah. he knows that. The idea of, of, of you know the, the the working white class, you know, feeling like, you know, the brown people have taken the jobs or, you know, have taken the money or, or taking their hard earned money or whatever you want to say, or the Chinese are taking their jobs or whatever you want to say, he's playing on all those fears. He's he is fear mongering 101, He is based in, and he is luring people in with his tactics. He's not he has no real reason to be a racist. I mean, you think how rich he is and the kind of lifestyle he lived what does he care? What does he care about? You know what somebody's race is to him? It's all irrelevant. He gets what and does whatever he wants to do. He's using whatever he can, and people are eating it up. And that's what's amazing. Like you said, exposing. That's why I said the worst thing has already happened. That you've had a reemergence of what people said was gone. They, you know, you've heard people say it's post-racial. Well, this has exposed the fact that we're not necessarily as post-racial as we people would like us to be. Uh, as they want to be, they want people to quit talking about it, but yet, you know, we still have code words like make America great. What does that mean? What exactly does that mean? When did America not become I mean, I I granted there's been some some times, you know, the recession, the housing market uh was 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 bad, houses underwater, but I'm telling you like this, it's still you're still better off here and a mor- with a mortgage underwater than you are living in Syria. Okay? So let's not lose our minds here. Uh, there's a lot of people doing a lot worse than you and, and that kind of thing. So I kind of think this whole thing about Make America Great is, 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 is a way that to, to make people feel good about themselves who, you know, maybe they didn't work hard enough. It's like you got to work hard to be successful in this world. And if you're out there feeling like some politician is going to restore your honor or your job, they've got you. they got you suckered. So, again, like I said, we're going to move on from this, but it was a great rant by Byron, and I just – I'm just, like I said, I'm excited that we're able to have a voice and that we can, you know, share that viewpoint with you to let you know that don't just get mad and and like memes. Get out there and vote. Get out there and be part of the process. Find a way you can get involved uh, in, in, you know, spreading the message if you you want to go down that road as well.
1: And and on here, we we really try not to, uh, you know, show any type of favoritism towards one candidate or another. We really just try to, Provide you guys with the information, and I know if you're a Trump supporter and you, you heard that you probably felt like I attacked him, when actually I just pointed out him and what he has done, and I if you, I pointed out some of the things I admire about him. So that wasn't an attack piece. But if you think I was wrong, you know, again, info at politically dot info at politically entertaining dot com. Let me know where I was wrong, and before we transition. Uh, Frank, you brought up Marco Rubio. I just want to say, that we can elaborate on it later, but he had one of the most honest moments of the campaign over the weekend when he was asked, are you still going to support him if he's the nominee? And he just looked so exasperated, and he just said, you know, I did say I would, but it's becoming harder and harder. And I just, it was one of, the, one of those rare, honest moments. Um well, we want to you know, it's,
0: it's funny you say that. If Donald Trump has taught anybody anything, is that being honest <laughs> is now become a virtue again. And you <laughs> know, I, I give, I, I give, I give him, I give, I give credit for that. Where there's, we've accepted positive speaking in code for years, and and I think that there's no more reason to be afraid. I, I guess my thing is, don't vote for Donald Trump because you're afraid of him. Vote for the candidate you're going to vote for. Because you believe in what they're going to do. Because if you just are voting because you're afraid of what he's going to do, he's not going to really do anything that you think is going to happen. Just like the same scary tactics that were on the right, where it was like, oh my god, you know, Obama's going to take away all your guns. He's going to, you know, uh, you know, everybody's going to be on, everybody's going to be on welfare. You're not going to, you're not going to get a raise ever again. You know, the country's going to go in default. I just believe that if you believe there's a better candidate vote for them but i don't i don't think that i just i just just don't believe that the president based on the powers and setup of the government uh, has as big an effect as people are allowing it to be It, it is big news and obviously it's a huge office to have but i just think right now people just need to look at the whole picture of what you know, what exactly is being put out there. Another movie, you, you you mentioned something about the media. A movie I recommend watching is a great portrayal on how the media works. It's called Nightcrawl with Jake Gyllenhaal. It has nothing to do with politics or anything like that, but it is a great representation of how the media can manipulate and, uh, you know, how they work and what they do to to uh, get you to see what they want you to see. So I recommend checking that out as well.
1: This We are a political show, but we do well, – you know, when we can, try to talk about other things and that aren't always politics. Um, I want to let the people know before we move on to the next subject, we do have an interview with Ray McKesson. He's a Black Lives Matter leader. He's also running for mayor of Baltimore. Um he very busy person, but he gave us a, a few few moments of his time to answer a few questions, so stick around for that. And we'll also later in the show talk about how I got in trouble last week. But, uh, Frank, I wanted to bring your attention to, uh, I guess this was two weeks ago now, a young man named Jamal Gaines. He, um, when he was 18 years old, he had about 500 pairs of Jordans and LeBrons and all the shoes that, you know, a lot of sure. people like. And he, he wound up selling them, and he sold them for enough money to open up his own shoe store. Now, the shoe store didn't last long. It wound up closing, but he didn't give up on his dream. He worked at FedEx, and then in 2013, he was able – he saved up enough money to where he was able to reopen the store in a different location. Jamal Gaines, two weeks ago, was murdered uh, in Rahway, New Jersey. And just I – know, I know what some people may be thinking – Broadway is not one of those, you know, cities that has a lot of homicides. In fact, this was their first homicide of the year. And I want to say last year they only had two or three. So it's not one of those urban neighborhoods with a whole lot of crime. And I don't know, you know, when I last read up on the story, Frank, it wasn't a lot of information. So I don't know exactly what the motive was or what kind of suspects they're looking at. But it just got me to thinking about, you know I was hoping that somebody saw something that would tell, and it got me thinking about the whole no snitching thing, which is very prevalent in our community and i just I just wanted to know what is your definition of snitching like how do you feel like it impacts our neighborhoods?
0: Well, I mean, I think it's a very, very tough um, a tough situation for when you we, and, and obviously. We were, our thoughts and prayers are with the with the Gaines family, and it's a terrible thing that happened to this young man. Uh, with that being said, you would, you, even though it's very difficult on the community uh, when this kind of thing happens, because you you may know who did it, and then you know if you may say something that may be your life on the line. So I think it's a very difficult position for people to be in to say, well, yeah, you should tell the truth because you know it's the right thing to do. The right thing to do could get your family killed or get you killed. So I think right. that the the idea of no snitching is just something that is almost born out of the idea of well, instead of it's just a, it's just a saying to me. It's not it's not really something that people really want to do. I think the average person who sees a crime, they'd like to report it and see justice done. For the most part, I just think that it's it's some of these situations. Are untenable where the law enforcement can't protect the people. They say, "Well, yeah, you can tell us and we'll protect you." I mean, it's, yeah, you're going to move me out of, out of this situation into into witness protection. I mean, it's it's very tough. So, I think that what it needs to happen in these situations is there are, there are, that, that, these things happen in communities where there's there's not enough leadership, in uh, and, 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 and the and the misfits uh, and the criminals have taken control of the neighborhood, and so people are often up up because maybe there is a, a you know a young lady or young man who saw what happened but they're too afraid to say it because they know that if you know the person who committed the crime knock on their door nobody's going to stand up for them and so it has to be a thing where people put, you know as a community has to police their own neighborhoods and let you know not let this kind of thing happen where okay you know you you did this thing you made you committed this crime but we know who you are we're not afraid to take you down and it's all you know to me uh, you know more of even a spiritual thing where, you know, there has to be somebody in the community who's at the heart, at the head, who can do that. I think, you know, you hear the sayings "like it takes a village to raise a child." I think that we we lose we lost that in this country. It has nothing to do with, you know, your race, your class. In particular, it just has to do. We're not, we're not as close. We don't have the the, the communities we had before. You know, we're, we're on Facebook. We do. We tweet. We do all this stuff all the time. But we don't have the closeness, the ability to just you know step in and stop these situations. So I think that. The whole snitching thing is just a saying, and, and that's fine. But and I think for the most part, people want justice. I just think they're scared, and I think that it's it's an untenable situation when the community it can't really be controlled by the police. It has to be controlled by the elders or or somebody in the community who has control to say we're not going to tolerate this kind of thing happening to to people in our in our in our community, no matter who you are and you know whatever whatever you do. And I think that's a tough position, uh, um, is to, you know, to if if you don't have. If, if, if it's like in a situation where if you've already been overrun by like like we talked about the criminals and the misfits it's difficult how do you take in, back control of your neighborhood i don't know the answer to that i haven't um, I've, i haven't been um in that position but i just you know like you say you just want to you just want to have your prayers and thoughts with the family you want to hope that if somebody did to they would come forward and that in general it's not cool the whole idea of not sitting is not really cool i think people try to Romanticize it But it's more of like A survival tactic Let's well, not rom- It's not romanticized Like oh you know Don't stop snitching, Don't snitch I'm, You know it's, it's just one of those things Where people are doing it Probably to survive More than anything
1: It's such a foreign concept um, For other people To not cooperate with police Like um, you talk to Because it's prevalent in, in the black community So you know When I talk to some Some white people That I know they, they they totally don't get it. And I try to explain to them, you know, historically it has backfired, and you, you pretty much, so I don't need to really repeat any of it, you pretty much stated all of it. I mean, you're jeopardizing your life in a lot of those communities when you cooperate with police because a lot of times those cities, they don't have the money to put you up in protective custody or, or have police, you know, watch you, and you become a pariah in your neighborhood and stuff. So for many people, it's just much easier to to not cooperate, so they can just go about their everyday lives. The the perfect example I can give you for anybody that's a fan of The Wire, season four, Randy's foster mom uh, townhome gets burned when he cooperates. I don't even think it was with the police; it was like school administration or whatever. And that that was like based on a true story, like that actually happened in Baltimore where they threw a Molotov cocktail in the woman's home and, and burned her. So, you know, for those that just totally don't get it, it's not so much as, you know, we, you know, black people hate the police so much that they just won't cooperate with them. A lot of times it's their safety. And until cities can guarantee the safety and protection of people, then there will always be that whole element of, Well, not snitching or whatever, but something my my friend told me a while ago, civilians can't snitch, okay? The only people that are snitches are people that are in the game. So like, Frank, if you and I are drug dealers and I get caught and they say, well, hey, we need you to help us catch Frank, what can you tell us? That's snitching. But if you're a citizen working a nine to five and you see a drive-by in your neighborhood, that's that's neighborhood responsibility, and you need to make that call. So that—that that is the difference that I think gets blurred a lot with people. Um, for me, I like that definition. For me, snitching is when you are doing dirt yourself and you're just trying to get out of jail time. <clears throat> so, um, last—I well, think it was about a week ago now. Bernie Sanders, we're transitioning back to politics, folks. Bernie Sanders, he had a surprise victory in Michigan against Hillary. And, you know, up until this point, he's been struggling with the minority vote. You know, he got blown out in South Carolina. And on Super Tuesday, he you know, he got blown out in states like Mississippi. You know, there's still a heavy black population in the South. And he, for the most part, has been getting around 10% of the black vote while Hillary gets the rest. Well, the difference in Michigan was he got 30% of the black vote. And that was a very, very close race. And I do think that that was enough to put him over the top. So I don't know if it was his debate performance in Michigan or, or have you, or if people are just finally, you know, learning more about him or if they're holding what some of the things that Hillary has said in the past that we've talked about on this show, with the super predator comment and the, the crime bill and things of that nature. So do you think it's a trend, Frank, or was Michigan Anomaly? Because as we record this on Monday night, tomorrow is another big, huge day. You got Ohio where Bernie just had a victory in allowing 17-year-olds. 17-year-olds are going to be able to vote. If you're going to be 18 by the general election but you're 17 now, He fought to allow those 17-year-olds to vote, and Ohio granted him that victory. So that's a big deal for him because he's very popular with the youth. And in Illinois, you know, Chicago, the mayor is Rahm Emanuel. He's very unpopular with how he's handled the whole Laquan Cook situation, the young black male that got killed by police, and it was filmed, and he was – the whole thing was messed up and – A lot of people feel like there was a lot of covering up there. So he's not popular there. And that, you know, he has ties to Hillary Clinton, so that may also harm her. So getting back to my original question, I kind of got off track. Do you think that there's a trend with Bernie, you know, growing more support with minorities? Do you think Michigan was just a one-time thing? Tomorrow is such a huge day. What do you see happening, Frank? That's a
0: great question to to ask. I don't know that. I don't know that Bernie Sanders is, is really in this race, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean I think he's he's a good guy. He means well. I just don't think he's going to make the connections. I think that the Democratic part of the reason why Trump is, is so popular, I, you know, we're bringing him up again, we're doing what the media you know does, but is because people are saying that it's so rigged, it's so establishment oriented. They want to see something different, and I think that people that I think there are people that do support Sanders. I just think that there's not enough of the the Democratic establishment that's actually backing Sanders. You know, I think that everybody's playing a pleasure to support to Hillary. They kind of want to, you know, see Bernie, you know, peter out eventually. I, you know, I, I think Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, he 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 means well. He does understand, uh, you know, some of the things he's been involved in some of the things, but. I don't know that people believe in his plan to to do things. And I know that yeah, Hillary made super predators comment and that does not sit well with a lot of people. But I, I do feel like that that people just are you know, people are get, are comfortable with, you know, the Clintons. And we had this conversation back in this podcast in the podcast on iTunes, uh just hypothetically entertaining and it'll show up and this interview we had with Erica Perkins. And you know, people, you know, especially the black community, love the Clintons. And for whatever reason, Bernie Sanders is not making the inroads that Hillary Clinton has made. People are okay with Hillary. Like, people know Hillary's not perfect, but they they feel like the Clinton name is what they want. You know, Sanders is an older guy making a lot of promises that are going to be very tough to keep. And I think, you know, people are comfortable with Hillary Clinton, and that's just all I can really say. I think that. She is going to win the nomination, and it's not going to be close. And I think Sanders is going to keep fighting because it's the kind of guy he is, but I don't see any way that he goes forward and he's able to overtake Hillary unless I'm missing something. I mean, he'd have to win almost every state from here on out, and then there'd have to be some changes of some of the super delegates. I'm not – like I said, you're the expert, so just correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't, I don't know that there's a, a direct path to his victory even if he wins tomorrow. Um, you know, what is it? You said Illinois tomorrow, and, and is there some other other states tomorrow as well?
1: Yes. Um, it's Illinois, uh, Ohio. I think they have Florida as well. I know the Republicans okay. have Florida.
0: I know, it, know the Republicans it, do, yeah. It,
1: it, gets, it gets so confusing because the Republicans oh. is winner take all, and I think the Democrats, some of it is still proportionate. Just remember I mean, don't worry, don't confuse yourself with that, folks. Just keep track of the delegates. Um, I think, well, I assume by the time we post this show, it'll, uh, it'll probably be either Tuesday or Wednesday. And if it's Wednesday, obviously, the election's already taking place. What I'll say is this, Frank. If he wins, because I think it's five states up for grab tomorrow or Tuesday. If he wins one of those states, no big deal. I think it's bad for her, but no big deal. If he wins Ohio and Illinois or Ohio and Florida or just any of those two states, she may still win, but I do think you'll see her going to panic mode. You slightly saw it with the Michigan victory. Uh, she spent a lot of time in Florida, and, and the, uh, the they call it the Super Tuesday Part 3. She, put, she spent a lot of time in those states because she knows she needs to close the deal on this as soon as she can and try to focus on the general. And, Frank, Bernie raised $42 million last month. So he has the money to continue, and if he gets the momentum of two or even three victories come Tuesday, like I say, this podcast may get posted on Wednesday. If that's what's happened, I think we're looking at a panicked Clinton campaign, and it'll be very interesting to see. She's still in the lead. She still has the super delegates in her in her pocket, and that's what's very important. But. At the very least, he would be able to stay around and be a nuisance for her. And for me, you know, I know you said black people love them from Clinton's. And I also think what kind of hurts Bernie at times, at least in my opinion, whenever he answers, you know, uh, questions about problems with with the black community, it always comes back to economics. And a lot of times that's true. But when you're talking about some of the unarmed police killings and things of that nature, that's not always economics. It's not just people with hoodies and and gang colors on that are getting shot. So, you know, it's not, you know, there are people with with salary paid jobs that still get discriminated against, still face racism, still get harassed by by the police sometimes. So, it's not just economics and sometimes I just want to say Bernie, Bernie, you know, expand your thinking. It's it's more than that. There are some people in this country that have to change the way they view black people, point-blank, period. If he could say that in a forceful way, then I think he could probably get even more traction. But when you keep just saying, well, they just need jobs. Okay, (laughs) Not, not everybody that gets harassed by police are jobless. There are a lot of people with jobs. There are a lot of people with six figures that get harassed, get discriminated against. Danny Glover couldn't catch a cab in New York in fact, I have my own personal story of how I couldn't catch a cab in New York when I went to go see the Heat play the Knicks up there. And, you know, I, I reference Beaumont Jones a lot. He's on uh, ESPN every single day, lives in a condo in Miami. When one of the realtors comes and shows a vacant condo, they go back down to the front desk and say, hey, that's a, suspicious, a suspicious-looking man upstairs. They come upstairs and it's like, oh. He lives here, that's Bo Money Jones. This guy's making six figures. So it's not always just economics, Bernie, and that's, if I could talk to him, that's what I would, that's what I would tell
0: him. Sure. I think we agree. I mean, I, I think Bernie Sanders has a huge uphill battle, and I think that, again, it all comes back down to Trump. I think Trump, you know, Trump is, uh, not, not to use uh, an analogy here for sports, but Trump has turned into like Golden State. It's like – I know you, people watch the NBA. I, Hillary, Hillary Clinton is like Cleveland to me. It's like they came in to the season. It looked good, right? They're a good team. They are a good team. I do think they are. But Golden State is, is on another level, and I think everybody's scrambling to figure out how that they, they, Golden State got so good. And I know that you know, people are going to say, oh, I don't want to compare Trump to Golden State. But what I'm saying is the same type of thing with momentum. I don't think that any candidate now if you if you just look at the lay of the land, they they don't none of them have the momentum that, that Trump has and I think you're seeing them squabble in battle. Um and, and it's gonna be very interesting when the general election comes. I I just am, am, am very, very interested uh, to see how this all plays
1: out. We'll discuss later in the show how I got in a little bit of trouble with my picture, pitcher. Um but for now, uh Ray McKesson a very busy man, Uh, one of the leaders of Black Lives Matter. He's running for Baltimore, and he sat down and loaned us a few moments of his time to answer a few questions, so listen up. Listen up. It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. In our very first episode of Politically Entertaining, we mentioned today's guest as one of the leading voices in Black Lives Matter. At the time, he just announced his candidacy for mayor of Baltimore, a city where he's been an activist for more than 15 years. You've seen him on the Stephen Colbert Tonight Show, and he recently met with President Barack Obama to discuss law enforcement
2: reform in America.
1: DeRay McKesson, how's it going today, brother?
2: I'm good, I'm good. I'm excited
1: to be here. All right, well, we appreciate you joining. Um, before we discuss your, your mayor, run in, in Baltimore, I wanted to uh, discuss something that I had not thought about when it comes to uh, protesting and continuously fighting for justice. Early last month, Marshawn McCarroll II, uh, he was an active member of Black Lives Matter, and he, he took his own life on Ohio State House steps. And Netta, who also is, a, as you know, a leading voice in Black Lives Matter, she talked about, you know, the stress that continuously fighting for justice and, and protesting can take on you guys at times. So I was wondering if you had an example of the toll that it has taken on you or someone you know mentally or physically.
2: You know, it, it's hard. And, you know, I, I thought a lot about my son's death, um, you know, suicide is um, is heavy. I, I know there are people in my life who who've taken their life, and and that is um, is hard. Just thinking about it, and and this work is definitely um, is definitely tough, right? Because it is a question of how do you go again tomorrow in the face of seeming defeat, that the winds seem so small, that this is uh, this is. Um, this is hard work, and the toll is heavy. So, you know, Netta, Netta, Netta and I process it differently. Uh, you know, I try and, um, you know, I lean on my father and my close friends a lot, and, and then just being in spaces where it's just me is important for me to recharge because I am, uh, you know, obviously I obviously have a big platform on social media, and i spend so much time talking to people. Right. But it's something that we all have to be mindful of, The self-care is real, and, your self care doesn't look like mine. Uh, and there's not to the work the work is just really hard.
1: It it is and you know, we just we just really see what the uh what the media shows us uh if we're not physically there. So it was just something that had never crossed my mind and it just really, you know, magnified the efforts that a lot of you guys are taking. Um you'd be hard pressed to find someone that doesn't have an opinion on Black Lives Matter one way or another. Uh, many of the opinions from many of the people can be pretty predictable. But were you at all shocked by some of the criticism from some of the older uh, black people, especially the ones that, you know, were around for the 50s and 60s when it came to the
2: tactics of Black Lives Matter? You know, I remember in those early days when people did not stand with us and when people did not say what we were doing was just. Um, and, and many people have come come along since, then. you know, I'm also mindful that we won't always agree about tactics and strategies, but we agree about outcomes. That we agree about the world we want to live in, and 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 we come with different like, different ways of how to get there, and and I get that um, that it doesn't help when we fight each other, um, because the the challenge of changing structures and systems is such hard work. Correct.
1: Now we have the Ray McKesson with us today. He is running for mayor of the Charm City, Baltimore, Maryland. You can visit therayformayor.com for more information. Um, what would you say are the top two or three things you'd like to fix in Baltimore if you become mayor?
2: You know, so much of the way I think about this is with the, is the importance of having a strategy at the city level for connecting so many of. Um, pieces and work streams that are not connected. There's so many resources and such rich talent and culture here, uh, but there's not a strategy right now uh, that, that connects them and that maximizes the impact. And then the second is, what does it mean that to focus on issues at scale? We have 70,000 people addicted to substances. 40% of our adults are, are not functionally literate. Uh, 25% of our pre-K students are chronically absent. So we have to start thinking about these issues at scale uh, and being, doing that in public and helping people understand it. So when I think about issues that are front and center for people, those are issues of crime, safety, and education primarily. But also we have to talk about homelessness and HIV and the environment and arts and culture if we're going to talk about how to make the city whole again.
1: Okay. And with we we currently have a uh, presidential election going on, and that's when most Americans really pay attention to politics. But can you explain why, you know, participating in local elections like for mayor or city council or even state legislation. Why that's just as important if not more important to people when it comes to affecting their lives on a day basis.
2: Yeah, you know, so much of the work that I've come to understand, like it, so much of the work that I actually change people's lives today and tomorrow is work that happens at the local level. Mm-hmm. It's work that happens Um, you know, in cities, that we can actually end cash bail now, we can do that at the city level, that we can develop a strategy for homelessness at the city level. We can do these things, and that's really important. So, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that people will vote uh, in the election across the country and definitely in Baltimore and that people want something different.
1: Now, you're, you're 30 years old, correct?
2: All right you're,
1: you're you're very young and active in politics and activism you've been involved in organizations such as Youth as Resources and Safe and Sound campaign in Baltimore uh what can you suggest other young people across America what are some things that they can do to create change in their respective communities
2: you know it is about being um some of this about just being involved, like, you know, so much of what we learned in protest, right, is that, uh, is that people want to be in community with each other and will be a new community with each other. So I think that, you know, it can start small. I am somebody who just, you know, got off my couch and ended up in St. Louis, and other people can do that, too. And then there is something real about being a part of the political process, like pushing people. Politics is uh, – or protest is, is inherently political. We were we are part of the process. We were a part of the process. Uh, and people can, you know, tweet, Facebook, all that stuff to get the attention of people in power, um, to push them to, to do things that are right by people and to, and to usher in a new world that is just, you know? I think that that stuff is real. It sounds pokey sometimes, but it's so real.
1: Um. You have definitely, uh, in my opinion, you've inspired a lot of people. I, f- I follow you on Twitter. Um, one of your, one of your favorite sayings is, I love your, I love my blackness and yours. Um, uh, so you definitely have inspired people and I think people look up to you. So we'll get you out of here with this, this last question. For the people that may be somewhat concerned that p- political office may change you, what would you say to, to ease the, the the worries of
2: that? You know, uh, so much of what we've done over the last 18 months, so much of what I've done in my career is tell the truth in public, that that's real to me, and that doesn't change. The truth in protests is that systems and structures need to be better, uh, and the truth in running for mayor is that the city uh, can be stronger than this, that so we are at a weak moment, but we don't have to be weak forever. And then it takes a mayor with a plan and a vision and a strategy to take us there uh, and I have that commitment to, to building relationships, uh, to working with other people, and to getting feedback, uh, and people will see exactly um, what it means to honor this commitment to equity and justice in government, and I think I can usher that in.
1: He is running for mayor of Baltimore. Uh, he is not, I repeat, not funded by George Soros or the Illuminati or any of the other rumors that you may have heard online, a lot like Bernie Sanders, he's accepting donations. You can go to therayformayor.com. That's therayformayor.com, and you can contribute any amount. is great, but of course, you know the more you contribute, the better. You can also learn about his platform more and about the Ray himself. And I just want to say that it's not just for residents of Baltimore. If you if you believe in this young brother and you want to see him make the changes that you think are necessary, I encourage you to go contribute as well. And who knows, he may inspire people in other cities to do the same thing to bring about the changes that many of us think that we need. Um, You can follow him on DeRay, on Twitter at DeRay, and um, he tweets a lot of good stuff. We want to thank you for your time, brother.
2: Cool. Talk to you later.
1: Okay. Good luck with the campaign. We want to thank Ray McKesson, once again, for joining Politically Entertaining. Uh, We wish him luck on his uh, campaign for mayor. And, uh, again, you can visit his website, derayformayor.com, if you want to learn more about him. And if you want to donate, you can also follow him on Twitter, at DeRay. Well, before we get into (laughs) how I got in trouble, Frank, I just want to make sure you knew about... um, you know the 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 Mexi- well first off the the former Mexican president he already said what he had to say about Trump and he used some profanity i forgot what he said but
0: i think i think i've seen the video he said and i quote, <laughs> we're not building an effing wall now we're a clean podcast and you know we want you to be able to be a family so but yeah it's it's out there and he i think he said on fox news he was he was very uh how would you say I don't know, upset, irate, maybe uh, he was he was he was livid, uh, and so and so like I said, I think that this idea of telling another country what to do doesn't doesn't play well. It never it never has. It never will. And certainly to try to basically troll a country and saying we're going to build a wall, I don't even know if people understand. Uh, you know, people that say we should build a wall. Do you, do you understand where how the Mexican American border, how big it is, how long it is, where it starts, where it ends? You know, it's not just like this little sliver in Texas. It's like it goes all the way around. uh, You know, if you look at a map all the way around, like, you know, the western part of the United States, it's very difficult to just be able to build a wall. I mean, how how high is it going to be? How tall is it going to be? Uh, You know, it's it's incredible that people even think that that's a viable option uh, for, for, you know, a, a way for border
1: control, border control. Yeah, so he is – uh single-handedly damaging relations with Mexico, but I'm sure his supporters would say, so what? (laughs) Uh, But something else that we should probably start thinking about, too. You know, a lot of times we talk about what happens if Trump wins. You know, you look at his rallies over the past weekend and how his supporters got into it with some demonstrators. We need to start thinking about what happens if he loses. You know, if he doesn't get that magic number to officially get that uh, Republican nomination, and they somehow take it from him, you know, those supporters aren't just going to go away quietly. So that, you know, like you said, the worst has already happened when it comes to him. And you may be right because at this point now it looks like it doesn't matter if he wins or loses, there's going to be some type of reaction. So don't know how we got here, but we're here, and, We'll see how it, how it plays out, man. But I just don't think those people are going to go quietly. Um. So before we go, Frank, I wanted to ask you, man. Do you uh, do you ever get in trouble with the misses, man?
0: All the time. I mean, the only reason I get the um, only reason I'm getting as much trouble now is because, like I said, I always say it's a new father. So just been so hectic. so There's not as much time to really uh get caught in the crosshairs when you got a newborn kinda of just shuffling around but I spent plenty of days in a doghouse previously.
1: So last Monday I uh I went to NBC Studios, one of their studios in D C. Uh and I went to go watch the, the taping of uh the Roland Martin show. Uh T V one they they rent uh the NBC Studios there. And they record there or what have you. So it was a, it was a cool experience. Got to meet some good people. And so, you know, I don't know if you noticed, know but I was a I was a pretty big Terrell Owens fan when he was playing. I thought he was entertaining and whatnot. So I'm not a big reality show guy watcher. I mean, I'm not even sure I said that right. I'm not a big reality show watcher. And when he came out with his, it was called a To Show. I did watch that because you know To fans seeing what he was up to. And there were two young ladies on there, Keita and Mo, that were like his, I don't know, managers or handlers. So I'm there at the studio, and Keita, she walks by, and I'm like, wow, she looks familiar. I couldn't, you know, that show hasn't been on the air for about four or five years now. So small talk, and I realize who it is. So I'm like, oh, man, me and my wife, you know, we used to watch that show all the time. Can I get a picture? So we take a picture And I'm I'm excited or whatnot. I'm enjoying the whole experience or whatnot. So I send the picture to the missus, and I'm like, hey, you remember her? (laughs) Dude, the picture, I want people to picture this. So it's me standing, and Kita is to my left, and I have my arm around her waist, and it looks like it looks like her her cheek is touching mine. It looks like we're face-to-face. I don't think we are, but, mm. you know, we stood there for like five to ten seconds. So my coworker, he took like about ten to fifteen pictures. So she wasn't that close the whole time, but she was just kind of changing poses, giving different looks. And that was the one that I wanted to send uh, sending. But, like, she's holding a necktie in her hand. That's It's not my tie, but I'm not wearing my tie. Because I haven't, <laughs> I haven't oh. put it on yet.
2: <laughs> so it looks like
1: she's holding my tie, and her phone is out in her hand. And so my homeboy, who's who's a complete idiot, he's like, "Man, first off, I mean, he just broke it down. He's like, the phone is in her hand. It looked like y'all just exchanged numbers. She got a tie, a tie in your hand. Looked like y'all just left the whatever. And and I got like a bottle of water in my hand. Like I'm, I don't know what you said, dehydrate or whatever. So. Mrs. <laughs> <laughs> was not too uh, too pleased with that, and I, you know what, I looked at it, and you know, dumb me, I wasn't even thinking about that. I'm I'm like, hey, I just took a picture with somebody that we both used to watch, and you know, I, I apologize, and I was like, you know, yeah, you're right, you're right, but um, so yeah, man, for about a good hour, your boy was in trouble for a minute. <laughs> Yeah, happens to the
0: best of us uh, Just like I said next time uh, In the great words of Herman Edwards Don't hit send You know um, <laughs> Don't hit send my friend So happens to the best of us At least you know Could be worse it have yeah, been worse
1: Well I want to thank everybody For tuning in to another episode Of Politically Entertaining Folks your voice can be powerful Voting is a weapon Together we can force the changes we demand. Money and politics cannot defeat an informed, united electorate, and that's what Politically Entertaining is all about.
0: That's right. Like I said, check, get ready to check us out next week. Again, you can go back and listen to this podcast or the other podcast on iTunes. Just go there, type in Politically Entertaining. If you have a Droid or Windows phone, you can listen to us on Stitcher, or you can also download Podbean. Uh, that app and find us there as well. Also, we're on Instagram at politically entertaining. We're also on Facebook dot com slash politically entertaining as well, and we're on Twitter at the vocal minority d a v o c a l minority, and you can uh, tweet at us there and talk to us there as well. And also, you can always email us info at politicallyentertain dot com. Take us out, Byron.
1: Hey, just uh, again, make sure you email us your thoughts. Where we wrong? Where we went right? What you like? And please also, folks, leave reviews on iTunes, and Stitcher, Pod, Podbean, wherever the case may be. Leave reviews. Invite folks to our Facebook page. We're just trying to continue to grow the audience and expand. But thank you for listening. Stay tuned. For next week, we'll have Dr. Claiborne Carson of Stanford University. You don't want to miss that interview. And until next time, folks, everybody take care. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining dot com for the latest in political news and updates.